From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in acronymic and positronic Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, it's a post-mortem of the retro platformer Carl with its developer Andrew Kennedy, aka Nintendrew. So, if everyone's ready, let's start. Wow, Jeff's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the intro you're Jeff's kissing? Yeah. Or? The ongoing pride ometer for Ellen's intro <laughs> performances. I feel like really good about that one. It's been a while since I've celebrated an intro, uh-huh. but yeah. I feel like that one was worthy of celebration. Okay. Yeah. Fair because enough. not only did I time it right, but I also said both adjectives. You did. Yeah. It's a format change. Yeah. yeah. We're shaken by it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> Hi, Drew. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for coming in. Um, we, Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. When uh, we were kind of setting up for the show, we were um, ogling all the cool things that you have in your background. <laughs> I see some curvy stuff. I just noticed it now. Of course. Sorry. I, I see Samus. You're going to have to oh, yeah. hide those. Otherwise, Steven will get too distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if I have one myself of that specific. Anyways. <laughs> I'm wondering, Drew, if you know how many Kirbys you have. Oh, man. Um, no clue. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, I've got, you know, collectibles, plushies, pins, games, any anything you could imagine for everything Nintendo. I'm kind of a freak for Nintendo. So. That makes sense. <laughs> and by way of segue, those things serve two purposes. One, they fill a place in your heart, but also they fill the background for your YouTube channel. That's right. Uh, for listeners yep. who don't know, uh, why don't you tell them a little bit about, um, I, guess your, I guess, your day job? Yeah, so um, my main gig, I guess, is Nintendo on YouTube. Um, for about five years now at this point, I've been covering just kind of my hobby of retro game collecting. Um, it, it was really an extension of my hobby where I, I decided I wanted to show people a window into what that looks like and, and the current state of the retro gaming and used games uh, market. And uh, I like to cover mostly kind of weird corners of, uh, of video game history, especially Nintendo history. Um, oddball consoles and systems, um, bootleg games, uh, just some some strange things that that catch my interest when i'm out hunting for for games so uh that's that's about it so so you in the past developed games right so yeah like- yeah so my my first job out of college was uh for a mobile game studio uh here in kentucky ah. and uh, i worked on a couple of uh titles uh the first one that i worked on was um i helped right after they had published the game draw Stickman epic uh, I helped to um, port that for Steam, uh, and there was also a version that we put out in China, which needed some content changes, so I worked on that a little bit. Uh, and then the first big project that I took on when I um, started at HitSense was uh, Battle Pillars, which was a, a 2D um, kind of RTS um, tug-of-war st- game where you built units of, of caterpillars out of, like, you'd have, like, guns and shield units and things like that that you would build your own units to to fight online or, or against the the story campaign mode. That's not how I expected uh, that game to go. <laughs> well, battle pillars, but it makes sense in retrospect. Yep. That's pretty great. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. so this game that you've been, you developed is, is kind of a return to form then as a result, right? Which is kind of neat. Yeah. And, and it, in, in more ways than one too, because I, I, um, the, well, so the, the concept that I had for, for Carl was knocking around in my head for over a decade at the time that we actually launched it. Ah. Um, and, I, uh, I actually worked with uh, one of my best friends, Matt Bittner, who was also the sole developer of the game, A Robot Named Fight. Um, he was looking for um, a new project to work on after he was finished with that game. And uh, he was kind of missing the, uh, 
the dynamic of working with other developers. And he was kind of my mentor, I guess, in, in that first job. Uh, and so he reached out to me during the pandemic and said, like, hey, I'm looking for a new project to work on. Could that be Carl? And I said, absolutely. It's been in hiatus for like three <laughs> years and it's never going to come out if I don't get any help. So uh, I was was happy to take him on uh, or to, to have him join the project. And uh, yeah, we put it out in September of last year. That's so cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. It's an interesting story, too, for um, what I think a lot of people will see as, oh, a game by a YouTuber. But it's, yeah. <laughs> it's whereas a lot of times those those projects get sort of born out of the circumstances of of, of that you know influencer's career. Mm-hmm. This has just been sitting it with you. And I mean, you even said it. Yeah. Like, Could that be Carl? And you're like, yes, yes. <laughs> you were really just waiting to finish this game in, in yeah. a sense. So um, talk a little bit about the like the, ear- the earliest iterations and uh you know ideation of the game were you was you thinking of it being a mobile title like you know what did and 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 what sort of stopped it from going forward in those early days sure well i um the very first iteration of anything that had to do with the game was uh i I think it was i was i probably should have been studying at the time at some point (laughs) finishing up my computer (laughs) science degree and i was up late one night and was just trying my hand at doing some um just seeing what was stick uh, when I was uh, messing around with pixel art, like just trying to make a, a, a mock-up screenshot of what I thought could be an interesting platformer. Cause platformers have always been my bread and butter. That's like my favorite, generally my favorite genre of games uh, and what I grew up with. Um, and honestly, the first, uh, the first art that I did for it, uh, it, it, it actually, I mean, it stayed in the game for far too long. It looked really terrible, but, <laughs> but um, the, yeah, just from that one screenshot, I think I drew the first iteration of Carl along with like a pit with lava in it and like some claw machine enemy that never ended up making it into the game. Yeah. But, um, and I, I was so proud of it at the time too. I think this was about 2013. Um, so about a decade ago, or actually maybe 2012 now that I think about it, but um, I, I was so proud of it. I put like a little watermark in it in GIMP that was just my name like plastered over it. Nobody's going to steal this. Like it was terrible. But, um, but I, I made the, yeah, I started working on some prototypes back in, at that time. And then I got my first game dev job at a local studio. And that was, um, my focus at the time. And then after that, I worked for another studio. And then uh, that second game development job was when I was um, starting to, to focus more on YouTube. And it kind of just like the things, everything lined up in a way where uh, my, uh, <laughs> the, the studio that I worked for after HitSense was um, uh, kind of a, almost like a, a, an idea accelerator where there was a, it, it's, that's an interesting story in its, in itself because there was a, an eccentric billionaire that just kind of, told his team what he wanted us to make and none oh. of it ever saw the light of day. And I, I don't even think I can reference most of it, but, um, but I started working in that office and there were about 50 people. And then I lived through, I think three different layoffs until there were five of us left in the office. Ooh. So it was a very uh, tumultuous uh, work environment. And yeah. uh, then finally with five of us left, I was laid off and I said, okay, you know what? The YouTube's picking up at this time. Like this seems like promising. I might as well try this while looking for other game dev jobs. The other game dev jobs didn't pan out and the YouTube kept kind of snowballing. So I said, mm-hmm. all right, this is what I'm doing for a while. Yeah. And so that was what happened years before then Matt reapproached me to, to pick up my kind of pet project. Mm-hmm. So we, when that happened, I because it sounds like it, it happened very naturally. You're sort of slow exit out of game development initially. <laughs> but then when you were you know asked you know, to revive the project and you, you leapt at it, was that <laughs> yeah. a surprise to you? Or was it something you really been actively thinking about in all in that interim? 
No, I, I didn't expect it at all because I, I mean, the first concept that I had for Carl was that I wanted to make, I mean, my, my single biggest inspiration was Cave Story, the developer Pixel. Um, I was, I was just inspired by a story that was to me something that was consequential on a level where it was a, an emotional story that was a, paired with solid gameplay that was just a, a, um, I guess a holistic experience for a video game made by one person from start to finish. And that was just fascinating to me that like one person could actually have this idea and be a solo dev and get their, their, their project from start to finish out the door. Um, and so I kind of had this mentality of it for a while that like, this is going to be my baby. This is going to be the one game that I put out by myself and everybody's going to know that this is, you know, Drew's game. Um, and so I, I almost didn't want people to see it, you know, for a while that it was kind of, um, uh, yeah, just like a personal pet project. Sure. Um, but then as, as time went on, you know, a, a decade, <laughs> I got to a point where then, you know, when Matt approached me, I was like, oh, I haven't like th- there was no way that I saw this would actually ever see the light of day. So if you're willing to work on it with me, let's, let's do it. Let's get the story out there. Yeah. That's awesome. That's very serendipitous. I don't know. It's such a cool thing to have happen. <laughs> um, yeah. I realized that we, I don't think we started with a summary of the game. Oh, and so that might be something we want to have you do for anyone yeah. who isn't familiar with Carl. Uh, give us like a paragraph. What's it about? And sure. why is it so amazing? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it's a, uh, so Carl is a, you know, in a phrase, I guess it's a love letter to the games that I grew up with. So it's um, primarily um, uh, just a celebration of kind of the, the MS DOS era of 2d platformers. Um, I was a PC gamer growing up. I wasn't allowed to have a game console until I was 13 years old. And despite this, that's always something that people seem to be um, <laughs> shocked by. That, like, uh, yeah, I, I, well, I started on on PC because that's what I had, um, and so I played games like um, Speedy Egbert and Jazz Jackrabbit, um, and then Cave Story, as I mentioned. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to make a platformer. Like I said, platformers were kind of my favorite. Um, Mario is what I, you know that's just what I would always come back to. Uh, Nintendo obviously is, I've got a particular affinity for Nintendo. Um, so that was a, a big inspiration as well. But um, yeah, it's a, uh, it, as it developed uh, more recently, uh, I had just come off of finishing uh, Undertale as well, which is also a, mostly a solo dev title. Um, and I was really inspired by the um, just, uh, it kind of reignited that, that, um, the, uh, the how much I was impressed with with the ability for a solo dev to to encapsulate a, a, an impactful story in in this medium. So um, I decided to inject some more of um, some of my favorite RPG games or, or RPG adjacent, I guess, things like Paper Mario mm-hmm. or Super Paper Mario in particular. Um, so it's a we we've called it a platformer with heart. That's the oh. the elevator pitch. <laughs> So you, you talk, I mean, the inspiration, the, the, this idea of the, the solo dev game that, that has a lot of the creator in it, if that's your inspiration, but what got the ball rolling was a, a partnership. <laughs> yep. So um, talk a little bit about uh, his role in the project and maybe how it changed from your initial conception, or maybe it didn't. Maybe he was just the shepherd. Uh, I'm, I'm curious <laughs> how that collaboration uh, uh, developed. Yeah, it was a definitely definitely an exercise in humility, and might have something to say about how I changed as a person because I <laughs> I had it in this yeah I had it in my head that I had to make it by myself, and then it wasn't happening because I I had too many things going, too many irons in the fire. So I uh, w- when Matt 
kind of did that. What, what my dream was, was to put out a game on my own. And he did that with a robot named fight. And that was also a, an inspiration to me. And then when he reached out to me to work on this as like a, a, a duo team, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's like, like I got to get a first game out at some point. So, <laughs> you know, um, and he, he definitely, um, he could, well, so when, when he joined the project, I had gone through like three different um, levels of, or three, three major iterations of prototypes. Um, I had all the main mechanics um, built and I had a basic idea for the story. I'd written some music, um, but my main bottleneck was level design. I, I had a lot of mechanics that I felt like I enjoyed, but I couldn't find ways to uh, satisfactorily put them together in a way that felt like a coherent, a coherent world. So um, he was, it, I mean, he had uh, engaged with a lot of that with a robot named Fight because the, for those who don't know, the, the core of that game is it's almost like um, uh, the closest thing you could describe it as, I guess, would be like a randomly generated Super Metroid style Metroidvania game every mm. time you play. So he had to solve a lot of interesting uh, problems with randomly generating a Metroidvania map. Yeah, that's wild. Um, so he had been fresh off of that project and was thinking... Uh, I think on another level about level design. So that was perfect for, for the project that he, he definitely helped uh, appease or, or ease that bottleneck. And then additionally, he worked on a lot of the, the enemy behaviors. Um, whereas I took on most of like the, the, the main mechanics, the, the story, music, art, and, and the kind of creative end. Well, I guess it's, it's all creative, but you know what I mean? <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So, um, so I, I, I the, it's interesting. In the past, you said that you had worked um, in the mobile game space. And what what role did you work on in that role? I, I think I missed it. I was just a, a C sharp game engineer, um, starting out uh, right out of uh, college with my CS degree. So I, I, it was in Kentucky of all places. There's not a lot of, of game devs out here, so I, I figured the best way to get my foot in the door was to to start with uh, a local mobile game studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, you've kind of established a, a new. Uh, potentially, because I remember you had said that you wanted to make more games. <laughs> um, you potentially yeah. <laughs> established, you know, another avenue for people who are in Kentucky to work in games if you're interested in working with more people. Um, Absolutely. That's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah, let me ask you about that, because I think um, people enter the sort of game dev communities from different routes, right? Some people, they, they get a CS degree or they do a game design program, mm-hmm. and then they find, you know, they find a job. And then other people are you know, uh, at their home office indies and they just are desperate for anyone to reach out to and, and have to do that through local communities. Um, what is the local game dev community like in Kentucky, at least from your perspective? Because one of the things that we've all learned is that there's more out there than you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you yeah. have to have that as a caveat. But I'm curious what, um, what it's like and, and maybe that, how that, um, you know, um, focused your thought on what kind of developer you're going to be. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you you mentioned the kind of dichotomy there because I think that's another opportunity for me to mention Matt, my development partner, because um, like I mentioned, he was kind of a, a, a sort of mentor for me um, at HitSense, which was the company that we worked at first. And uh, he was, I mean, he has an English degree and he was self-taught with, uh, in programming and he had developed a few little um, uh, projects before starting on at HitSense and he had gone the route of building a portfolio and pitching based on that. Um, so, so we both kind of, uh, we, we spanned that, those, that, uh, I don't know, that, that spectrum. Yeah. And, um, 
so then, uh, well, as far as the, the game dev uh, space in Bowling Green, Kentucky, we're, we're kind of in South Central Kentucky. So there's the sad story is there's not a lot out here. We, uh, the first company we worked at was HitSense, and now they're, they're all into, uh, they're just doing publishing at this point. So I don't think they do any development anymore. Um, but there, I know there are some uh, active groups up in uh, Louisville and Lexington. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's, it's not a complete uh, drought out here. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's, n- it's a, not a matter of, is there a community here or isn't there? It's always like, what is it going to take for me to reach and find them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not every place has the social infrastructure that San Francisco does, for example, yeah. you know, and if you're starting from scratch, then not only are you working on getting your day, your game dev chops, you know, honed and sharpened, but you're also having to build all this social infrastructure. It's a mm-hmm. lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, I was when I was going through the the CS program, I was worried that I like the, my closest option would be like Atlanta, Georgia, with like oh. Adult Swim games and and Rerez or or uh, what is it, High Res Studios out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that and I was uh, uh, concerned that that I might have been in a desert for game development, but I was excited to find uh, an op- opportunity at the time and and build off that. That's cool. So you had said that you've been working on the game for ten years, but you like made a prototype up until Matt had approached you. Right. What mm-hmm. did that initial prototype look like? I'm curious. Uh, it's funny that you, you mentioned that because I, I, I think my my sister might still have one of the earliest prototypes on on her computer. But uh-huh. it was um, uh, very early on. It was uh, <laughs> for many years. It, it it stood as just a demo with three levels that were completely barren, except for the collect the main collectibles ah. that that drive the the main loop. But um, it was uh, it started as a project that I built in Game Maker. Because Game Maker was one of the first um, environments that I worked on or worked with just as a kid, like playing around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think as I went through the um, computer science program at the local university, I was learning um, Java. So I started working with Box2D and um, and tried to sort of shift it over to that environment. And then um, as time went on, then further, um, I, uh, I, I started working at HitSense in C Sharp with XNA. Uh, and then when we moved to the second big project there, uh, Matt, actually, he, he was uh, promoted to a, a designer position. So then I was the lead programmer on Draw Stickman Epic 2. And um, while that was happening, I was sort of, um, I was curious about Unity because Unity was starting to, to pick up as far as market share for, for development environments. And um, I was uh, also really hyped on Paper Mario. So I was thinking like, oh, it wouldn't be cool if we could do this like Stickman drawing adventure game, but in like a, a like a pop-up book 2.5D style. And Unity made that easy. So I built an early prototype for Draw Stickman Epic 2 and presented it to the designer at the time before Matt had uh, taken that position and got them to agree to start teaching the, the engineers there uh, Unity. Um, so then when that happened, I was able to learn Unity through... Uh, my workplace and uh, I got used to that and felt like I, I wanted to try a third prototype. So then it, it, it jumped again to a new engine, uh, a new language. And uh, yeah, so we, uh, uh, that, that was the state that it sat in from like 2016 to 2019, I think. <laughs> I'm curious whenever you made the jump to, you know, a new engine or sometimes and, or a new, a new language, what level of tweaking you made along the way, right? Not just to make the adaptation, but, you know, like, what had you rethought? And, you know, it has been a while, so you might not be able to remember in mm-hmm. much detail, but give us the broad strokes. 
Well, I think even more so than changing engines or languages, what really influenced the progression of it was the games that I was playing at the time. Ah, okay. So when I first started on the uh, the earliest demos, I was imagining like the um, the the levels as being laid out in a sort of Yoshi's Island style, like tile screen where you would choose like, you know, level one, one, level one, two to, to go into each time. Mm-hmm. And then um, at the time when I was porting it to Unity, uh, I felt like I, I realized the the value that I hold in games that have a central like physical hub world space that that tie those levels together. So I ended up building what became the dump, the depot of unusable machinery and parts in in the game. Another that is one. the uh, <laughs> it's like the the central um, just stomping grounds that you get familiar with and and help you to. Um, get used to the controls and the the different abilities and upgrades as you get throughout the game. And I I realized uh, around that time that how how important that was to me in games like Super Mario sixty four, um, Super Mario Galaxy, um, and uh, even just like the consistency of of op- more open world games. I, I felt like a, a hub world was really important to me. So that's probably the biggest change that happened as a result of of the iterations. Yeah, that's interesting. I I wonder like going back and looking at I guess I mean I, I work in um, game-based learning and instructional design. So usually the projects that I have to make are coming from a client who has a specific like organizational mm. goal. Um, but even so, like if I'm playing a deck builder, if I have played one recently, I do feel like I'm more likely to design a de- deck builder no matter what yeah. you know, <laughs> problems presented to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I would say that Undertale in particular was that when I was um, starting to to port it to Unity, that was what was the hot topic at the time. And um, before, like I said, it didn't have too many RPG elements. But then, along with the hub, I, I started to inject sort of like a a humor and and character through through writing that I felt like helped to to elevate it beyond just a, a simple platformer. Mm-hmm. Speaking of humor. What does Carl stand for? <laughs> Carl, he's the computer automated resource locator. Ah, and yes, the dude. name came before the acronym. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, when I made that first little snapshot mock-up screenshot, I said, that guy looks like a Carl. I'm going to call him Carl. And then figure that out, retrofit it later. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> I, I just, I, it bothers me when there's an acronym and there's nothing that doesn't mean anything. Oh, it's just oh. an acronym. For no- yeah, but you're okay with a backronym. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> good, good. He does look like the thing is, he does look like a Carl to me. He totally looks like a Carl. To me. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those things can they can inform. I mean, that little that that sort of the heart of it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That, that 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 robot with that name then seemed to be the seed at which the rest of the aesthetic yes. and narrative grew from, right? Um, I did want to mention quickly before we moved on from uh, influences is I think um, a lot of people are sort of scared. To, to be so directly influenced by the things that they're interested in. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's not so much mimicry as like, this is what's, you sort of take it and then you find out that, oh, this works for this game. Yep. Not so much that I'm just copying it for this game. Right. Because when you were talking about the hub world, you were describing like what it brought to, to this game, which is like, uh, you teach players the controls, provide some of that narrative uh, uh, um, uh, uh, flourishing. And that's, mm. what, that's what made it a good thing to take from other games. It's, you know, you you weren't taking everything from those games, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and with Carl, uh, we just like, I, there were a few titles in particular that were just very formative for me, especially Cave Story, um, Super Paper Mario, Speedy Egbert, Jazz Jack Rabbit, um, and then later on Undertale. And uh, so there's a lot of references to those games and even just the general, um, my, my passion for retro gaming in general. So there's like some Mega Man references here and there, Kirby, uh, Metroid, um, <laughs> just because I, I felt that I wanted to wear my inspirations on my sleeve and 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 pay 
you know, credit where credit is due. Um, I think that there's, I mean, I, I remember at the time too, I was playing um, the uh, Pony Island on wow. Steam. And that that was a, a really interesting um, narrative experience that I remember also sort of, uh, that they had a, a, a reference somewhere in there to Undertale, I think. Don't quote me on it, but I think that there was a, something in there that, that, had a call back and that that's nice. that was also a, a moment that i was thinking like okay it's if you're if you're taking something from the games that you love you can you know credit where credit is due <laughs> yeah i'm glad to hear a uh, super paper mario near the top of that list because i think that's one that like it's not i mean everyone loves thousand year door and I, that's probably my favorite too but i think super paper mario is mechanically fascinating it is and, absolutely and, and i feel like it doesn't have enough uh descendants so it's, it's it's good to hear that that uh, that you that that was part of your your inspiration for sure. Yeah, I'll I'll do a quick plug for the YouTube there because I've I've got a, a retrospective on Super Paper Mario that talks about how a lot of the the old guard of the Paper Mario fandom kind of categorize it as one of the bad games, the one of the ones that led to the the downfall of the series. Yeah. Whereas I feel like it they're is wrong. A, they're just totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like it was a, a harmonious melding of of those uh, mechanics that inspired yeah. it. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So you mentioned a lot of the things you took inspiration from that worked for the game. Are there any uh, uh, mechanics or inspirations that you tried to implement into the game that didn't work out? Um, well, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not I guess sure. It's hard I to say. Like, <laughs> I, no, yeah. I, I, I tried to. Uh, there, there's, there's something that I feel like could either be a positive or a negative for, um, for folks depending on what they're expecting. Which is that there was um, at, at the end of the game, there's this. Um, this arc that spans about a third of the the length of the the title, um, but it's completely different from from the rest mm-hmm. of the the title. So like, as you start, you you have this hub world and you go into individual levels, um, and you can easily see your progression through these four main chapters. And then um, at the the conclusion of the fourth chapter, an event happens, and then the nature of of what you're doing kind of changes. Where you're still platforming, but there's um, it's almost like the Wily stages of of the game. Okay, and um, I think uh, for the the narrative, it was a, a big moment, uh, and I, I hope that most players come across that and see it as like, oh, I thought the game was over, and now there's all this this extra. Um, I do worry that it could be. Um, it might be something that uh, people aren't expecting because it's a it is a change of pace, but I, I think ultimately it's a it's a fun surprise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that is it, that's something where you can really feel the developer's choice, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, because like because I, th- I mean, like you you you're theorizing some people will love it and some people won't, and that's scary because ultimately you <laughs> want to make something everybody loves, but as an artist, yeah. you know that that's not your job exactly. Yeah, right. It's your yeah. job is to make those choices, and hopefully enough people will appreciate it. And they'll come to love it, and then there'll be just plenty of people who will go along with you from jump. Um, but yeah, that that kind of like oh, it's a it's a big part of how the game progresses, and you're and the fact that you were worried that it would essentially cause people to bounce off, and yet you still charge forward with it shows that you at yeah. least had an, that much confidence in it. And I think that's something that people can uh, you know uh, uh, take for their own projects is like you you don't have to refine it until every play tester gives you the thumbs up you know? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah. then, because then sometimes you are left with no choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. with something that's bland, you know, like yeah. everyone can eat a saltine cracker and, but no one's going to be really excited about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I'm sure there are a lot of people who can't eat saltines, <laughs> but it was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want a saltine cracker for a game. Yeah. Trademark it, put it on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> New, uh, nice, nice games club merch coming in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, um, I had a question about your workflow. Yeah. 
So you had mentioned that kind of early in your working history, Matt was more in the design space and you were in the development space, but you know, things have evolved and changed for both of you. And I'm curious what kind of workflow you guys set up with each other as you were building the thing. That, that's a, a very good question because uh, at the time I was still doing, um, I mean, practically I had two full-time jobs doing both YouTube and game development. Yeah. Um, so for the longest period of, of dedicated work that we uh, did on Curl, I was doing one week on, one week off, mm-hmm. where um, Matt was al- always um, charging forward with the level design because all, all the main mechanics had kind of been laid out. I'd, I'd had all the, the upgrades for, for um, like traversal mechanics and things like that. Um, but I, my bottleneck was that level design and enemy design. So I would be coming in every other week and kind of, um, you know, um, we, we might, um, put our heads together and, and, um, come up with some concepts for some new enemy designs or, um, uh, a new, uh, you know, arena for a boss fight or something like that. And then he would take that on, on the off weeks when I was going back and doing YouTube and make those into playable experiences. So then we would just kind of come back and, and refine that. So I was working with him usually in person, uh, cause we were kind of in our own little COVID bubble. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we, um, I, I had worked on it off and on for, you know, seven plus years. And then he sort of did this double time while I was doing both YouTube <laughs> and, and game development to, to get it out, out the door. Whew. Yeah, that's intense. I think the one thing that's, <laughs> that actually sounds really nice about that is uh, it's a structured routine. Mm. Yeah, in a yep. way, in a way that is hard for a lot of developers to find themselves into. So being forced into it is not so bad. <laughs> I mean, there are downsides, right? You're you're like you're just about no. ready to crack something, and then you've got to <laughs> take a week off. Yeah, uh, that's rough. Yeah. Um, yeah, but sometimes you could spend three, four weeks on something and not realize how much time has passed yep. uh, because you're not thinking about each chapter, you know, going forward. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think it did help me to to kind of take a step back and look at things as a, a more overall experience mm-hmm. well and nothing got neglected right your youtube was still growing and you were still yeah. able to progress yeah. in the game it worked out really well sounds like yeah i mean like shipping a game is impressive enough yes but then like shipping a game without dropping every other ball that you might be juggling <laughs> yeah. pretty impressive well the, the verdict's still out on whether i drop the ball everywhere else. <laughs> well, actually, okay. you know what i let's let's address that because i think we're making a couple of assumptions here so oh, okay. tell us about the challenges uh about was the was the schedule brutal? Um, what sacrifices do you have to make either to your other work or to the other things in your life? Well, that's a yeah. I I definitely had to to reduce the scope of certain aspects of the game uh, as we got closer to launch because it, at some point you, you know, feature creep gets in and we just had to kind of call it where it was. Um, there uh, actually, uh, I. Uh, I, of course, I, I would have done this just knowing me, but I, I think about four months before we ended up actually launching the game, I had um, just kind of a brain spark moment where I was like, oh, man, I wish I had been able to introduce a new um, a new unlockable sort of mini game experience within the um, the hub area after each proper chapter because m- there's not a lot within the dump that changes throughout the the main story mm. and I I approached Matt and I was like I know we probably can't do this before launch but I wanted to show you this and he's like yeah we can't do that <laughs> 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 but we are working on a content update a free content update that will include a lot of that uh, material so that that'll be good to get out um, oh, yeah. and then um, the the other thing was I mentioned that there's like kind of the last third of the game that is uh, a little bit different. Um, originally there was, uh, another, uh, sort of chapter, I suppose, where you were, uh, approaching that, um, that part of the, the, the story, um, where it was a, a more extended series or a more, a more extended, um, 
section, I guess. Uh, it ended up being in the final version. There's a there's an office space that you get to after the fourth chapter. Um, that was originally going to be its own chapter that would ultimately lead up to the the uh, I guess it's not an epilogue, but the the, the final area. Um, and it ended up getting shortened into just like kind of one hallway with a few little bits of exposition. But ultimately, I think that did help the flow of the game. I think as I was thinking of it as um, uh, as its own chapter, I, I was struggling to figure out how to fill it with content that would actually be compelling and that people wouldn't fall off from. So I, I think it uh, we, we sort of shortened some of the um, the original design into a few quick little experiences. There's a, a like a scrolling shooter um, section when you're getting up to the office area that didn't exist at all in the first design that was originally supposed to be um, a, a much longer ascent. But then we sort of reuse that concept for that final area of the game. So I think it ultimately benefited the project. Mm-hmm. You know, to put all these pieces together into what you described earlier is this holistic experience. Yeah. And so yeah. It, 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 you you can design and plan and prototype, but sometimes you don't actually know what the final shape should be until you're almost done sculpting it. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Steven, tell me about our t-shirt. Oh, it's great. It's a wonderful, nice. Is it cotton blend? It's cotton blend. It's so good. I mean, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. Might, it feels it nice on be, your skin. It might just be totally cotton. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, it has our logo on it, uh, Mark Design. And you know what? We don't talk enough about that logo. Yeah. It's a great logo. It really is. I am really happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you should uh, be. Sometimes you look at the thing you made with like s- some pride or some nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And I look at that thing and I'm like, that's the logo for Night's Games Club. <laughs> it's, I, 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 it, it, it sort of separates out from how you other how you otherwise feel about stuff you make. Yeah. It's just, it fits the show. It's what the show is. Yeah. It's part of the identity in a way that makes me really satisfied. It's brilliant. And it fits on a t-shirt. And yeah. it fits on a t-shirt and it looks so nice on a t-shirt. I wore my t-shirt yesterday. Yeah. Uh, on Sunday, yeah. It was very comfortable. And then also Eric wore his t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And so I was rocking the gray and he was rocking the blue. Uh-huh. It was really good. Perfect. That's clean. This this shirt is well. so soft and memorable that you will recall the days you wore it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> you can get access to it at nicegames.club slash shirt. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Games. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow we always end up there. I know. (laughs) I think about that way too often, actually. I'm like, why am I making games? Because they're fun, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, your your playtesting process. I, I know you had said when you were first working on the game uh, before your partner joined, um, you kind of kept, you kind of wanted to keep the game close to the heart because you didn't want to show it off until it was at a state you felt comfortable with. But I imagine while you were, you know, developing this game now, and uh, you, I'm sure you... Uh, showed it off to quite a few people to get feedback and things like that. And I imagine, I'm curious actually, if your YouTube channel was useful for that, for that kind of purpose as well. Well, when it comes to the YouTube aspect, I kind of, again, played my cards or kept my cards close to the chest. Cause I, I, um, I wanted it to be a surprise that sure. when it was close to launch that I would reveal to the people who had been following me for the past three, four years that, Hey, I've actually like, if you didn't know I was in game dev before and I'm doing it again. And um, so I felt like that would be the, the best way to build a kind of uh, thunderclap 
response. Um, but as far as playtesting, we had uh, through both me and Matt having worked in the the local uh, game dev space, we kind of built a, a short list of, of um, you know coworkers and friends that we were able to reach out to 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 get their individual sort of specialized opinions. Uh, and then it was kind of split between that and then also convention appearances leading up to the games launch. We, we went around to conventions that would, um, that would host me as a guest. And then I would bring along Carl as well and, and Matt when he was available to, to see what the, the public impression was, was like. And we, we've been very encouraged that, um, the, the overwhelming response is one of, uh, surprise or delight when they see some of these moments in the beginning of the game that are, uh, just ca- that subvert player expectations. That was always my my biggest goal. Yeah. So so it yeah. sounds like yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you didn't. Uh, so uh, like you wanted to keep it a surprise for your YouTube following, but you were still able to use the 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 benefit of being a personality, I suppose, on YouTube to travel to different conferences and use that as potential playtesting yeah. experience. That's awesome. And I felt like that would be a, a cool experience too, as as an attendee. That like you know, if you go to see a YouTuber that you you've watched for a while and they've got a special product that you can only play here, you know, like that's, yeah. it's a fun little incentive, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So talk about how that playtesting uh, shaped the game. Cause I think sometimes, especially when you're playtesting prototypes, there's like just tons of shock. You're like, Oh no, I had no idea it came off that way. Yeah. But as the game gets further along, you're kind of, you're starting to ease a little bit into QA a little bit, even when people think they're just playtesting. Mm. Those are different experiences. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you have any examples of things where, uh, either uh, through you know through privately sharing or through these convention appearances, times when player tester feedback like really hit home, or maybe things that they said that you really couldn't get around to because it was too late. Yeah, well, um, I think the biggest change from player feedback was probably within Matt's realm of level design because uh, at the time I was mentioning uh, my inspirations. One of his inspirations for the level design was that he was well, he's a longtime Quake fan, and he was playing the uh, Arcane Dimensions mod at the time and was just really excited about the the sort of um, entangled, intertwined level design where you'd have uh, you know you'd be sort of sort of like a a microcosm of a Metroidvania experience where you'd be going through the the same area multiple times and opening monster closets and finding new um, you know, keys or doors. And, um, so a lot of the levels initially were a lot more backtracky, I guess, where the, you would end up going around the same space two or three times. Um, and then we found that a lot of players were getting lost. Uh, so we added a lot of, um, you know, environmental cues to try to, to coax them in the right direction and they were still getting lost. So a lot of the levels, honestly, within the pat or the, the final, six months of the project, uh, a lot of the levels, it became a little bit more linear, mm-hmm. which uh, I think was at the time disappointing, but I ultimately I think led to a, a more um, just fun experience overall. Yeah. It can be hard to let go of something that's just a really good idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I guess it's just not what this game needs. And like that coming to that realization, it's not an easy thing. Yeah. Yeah. But we were still able to fit in a lot of those um, those um, earliest seeds of inspiration where there are some levels. I mean, the, 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 the benefit of having a game that is sort of that Super Mario 64 style where you, you have a hub world and you're going into individual levels is that we were able to uh, almost toe the line between genres and be able to have... Um, some levels that feel like a, a small Metroidvania or a level that feels like yeah, a, you know, a Mario yeah. 2 runner level. So, Yeah, playing with that expectation, that makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, I think if you d- if it's just linear 1, 1, 1, 2, or each world is a different properties, then you could you could definitely, like a, a one that's different could feel weird. Yeah. But in right. a, a hub world setup, those kinds of like, you don't really know what's behind the next door. 
And so the, yeah. like that player expectation, even if it's the same content presented differently, uh, that really can yeah can come off differently. Mm. Wow. That is a nice games club topic. I'm writing that down. Hub worlds. <laughs> <Great. Ooh. Yeah. laughs> One day. Yeah. Well, it does. It invites people to. Ex- I mean, it, it, people expect variation. Yeah. And then you're still coming, you know, because you're coming back to the same, and then leaving your home again. Yeah, it gives you kind of it gives the player a kind of uh, grounding in. Uh, yeah, mechanically, because you yeah you can sort of jump around and try to figure out how it works, but <laughs> also narratively, right? Like to the 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 those little spaces th- that you go to, even if they're different, they automatically make sense because they're connected to something you 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 understand. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a, a narrative trick almost. You said jump around, and we're talking about a platformer. Uh-huh. I just want to point that out. <laughs> I I know that you didn't want me to point it out because of what your face did. <laughs> Oh uh, gosh. Um so I am there was I, you you were holding off on the game and waiting until it was nearly released before you um wanted to promote it, right? So I want to I'm curious how that process went, how you uh, promoted the game when you felt comfortable doing so. Um and how that went in general like was it well I it sounded like it was well received by people who play tested it, but um how did your how did your following feel about the game? Yeah, well, uh, a lot of them were, were I guess, um, you know, it, having watched a lot of YouTubers myself and, and having been in that space, like, they, I feel like there definitely is something to be said for the community connection there where, like, people will kind of feel like they're um, they're cheering for an old friend, you know, when you've, yeah. when you've been watching a particular content creator for a while. So I think a lot of folks were, were proud of me for, for kind of going back to my roots and, and finishing a longtime pet project that could have never seen the light of day. Um, so I, I was glad that they they seem to to be receptive to that and, and excited for me um and as far as uh our just marketing in general like I, like i said i have the platform that that i hoped would um that i'd be able to um give a, a sort of case for for my my personal hobby of retro games like i've had a lot of opportunity for inspiration so uh if you know those players that were willing to to trust the the development chops that they'd never seen <laughs> were were uh, introduced to an experience that for the most part everything that we've seen has been pretty uh pretty positive as far as uh, uh, the players who, who do get a chance to look at it we, we worked with a uh, studio uh, or uh, uh, a PR firm, uh, Novi Unlimited, to to work on some of our, our sure. uh, PR launch, uh, and then since then we've just been talking about it whenever we get the chance, going on shows like this. <laughs> um, uh, so what was what was the hook you used to 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 advertise, Carl? Like, I, I think that no, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just I was I I was gonna describe what a hook was, but you know what a hook is. <laughs> Well, so it, it was a, a unique challenge with Carl because, in a lot of ways, like I, when I talk with people colloquial about it, like it, it's not, it didn't do anything um, particularly revolutionary. Like sure. it, it, like I said, it wears its inspirations on its sleeve. Um, it's it's a two D platformer with RPG elements, and and that's been done. Uh, and it's been done a lot. And there's a lot of, of pixel art two D indie platformers out there, which is a a marketing challenge, but. Um, I feel like the 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 core of what we were trying to to share in the experience was a platformer with heart. That it is something that uh, I mean the the single biggest um, uh, through line in the entire development process was this idea of subverting player expectations. That's done so well in titles like the Paper Mario franchise and Undertale and even Cave Story. Um, there's just something special to me about 
playing a game where you you really think you you get to a point where you feel like you've got the game's number, you know what you're going to expect, and then it turns it on its head in the next level, and and it's just something that might make you laugh, but not necessarily because it's funny, but because it's surprising and something that you've not experienced before. Um, and so it, it, that has been uh, going back to the marketing that that has been a challenge to be able to like you know if you see screenshots of Carl, like yeah, I mean it, it, it's a, a decent two D platformer, but it's hard to encapsulate what makes it special and i think that as soon as players um, sit down with it and, and experience the first like 10 15 minutes of, of the game and, and see things like one of one of the examples of this is that um carl that we mentioned was the computer automated resource locator so he's got this acronym name and as you play through the game you'll notice that every robot that you meet has a similar name that has an acronym that they've all been made for a very specific purpose and some of those are um particularly uh I don't know, <laughs> interesting or, or surprising. <laughs> like there's a, when you get through to chapter three, you'll find a new area of the dump where you meet Craig and Craig is the uh, comic relief automaton of incredible groan worthiness. <laughs> so his, uh, his sole purpose is to tell terrible robot puns. Oh, you turned and, my husband uh, into a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, so there, there's like little, just this through lines like that, where I, I wanted to inject as much character as I could uh, mm-hmm. while, Stomping on some old grounds with or, or well, well tread ground with, yeah. with the, the indie two D platformer. When you when you come up with that 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 marketing like the elevator pitch, it is so difficult because there's so much of what you're just describing to us now that it's you can't squeeze into that little space yeah. that you have. And then it was like, well, how can I describe this in eight words that will make it stand out from all the other games that you could describe in eight words? But then you start getting into the area of like unearned hyperbole, yeah. where you start like building up the game and, and promising things or, or trying to yeah. say, but I, I, I really appreciate the challenge you had of like, you know, you're not, this isn't revolutionary, but that's not what we were trying to do. Right. And I exactly. think that's, that's, I think gamers have a hard time because they really need to like, they need to like trust you that it's worth their time even to check right. out. And so that's mm-hmm. really, really difficult. I will say from like first impressions from Carl, it does, I think exactly that it's like, this is a modest title. <laughs> Of high quality you will enjoy yes. like it, it and it, without what i think a lot of um indie developers uh people publishing their first titles um uh, self-publishing especially it's just the hyperbole and it's yeah. you can't you can't blame people because mm-hmm. they're desperate to like how can i convince people with three mm-hmm. words well i better use the best words yeah right yeah and it's it ends up turning people off in a way that but it's it's such a challenge i don't have any great advice as to how to to get around <laughs> it but i think that idea of like, let's just say what it is and you're not going to be able to explain everything about it. And I think that's what you, you've, you've done with the, with Carl. I think it, the, the, the description you're giving us, the fuller, you know, understanding of the game matches pretty well with the, 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 from a thousand feet, even if I couldn't have gotten to that, that more detailed description myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause you have to let players get there by playing. It. Yeah. It lines up. And yeah. I think what's really interesting too, is like it, it, it is a very populated genre. Like there's a oh, lot, yeah. like you were saying, <laughs> right. But like, I don't know if I will ever not, if I'm playing a good like puzzle platformer with RPG elements, I'm never going to regret spending time on a good one, you know, because, yeah. and so like the fact that that is what your, your kind of your tagline of like a platformer <laughs> with heart is kind of delivering is because that's what I want. Right. Like as someone who really just loves the Metroid series and, and so on and so forth, like when I'm, scoping out different games to play i want to experience that the first time with a new game just like the first time i played metroid 
which I can yeah. never do again. You can never play a game for the first time again, right? So that's one of the reasons I think people come back to genres and keep coming back because they, they want to, they do want to capture some of that. Um, and the language they're using to describe the game, as Mark said, from the thousand foot view, but then also from the detail view is aligned with that. And I'm sure that comes through to players who first, you know, hear the tagline and then look a little bit further and get a little bit more information and see that everything lines up and then they're watching the trailer and they see a very cute robot <laughs> and a, a cool dump with a pile <laughs> of, you know, gadgets. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I think I wasn't sure where that was going. <laughs> a cool <laughs> dump with a pile. Po- uh. Well, it's, dump. I mean, it's the dump. It's the dump. There's a yeah. there's like a pile there. There's a pile. <laughs> I do like. But a, no, I, I hope yeah. so. I hope that that's the the impression. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you know how I feel about piles of gadgets. Mm-hmm. Yes. Positively, I feel positive towards piles of gadgets. <laughs> Ellen meant no ill will. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I realized what it sounded like as I was saying it. Oh, <laughs> well, even even the the dump itself was was something that's sort of tongue in cheek. That yeah. like it, yeah. it I, I mean the the single biggest inspiration for the dump was Mimika Village from Cave Story, the the little um, kind of decrepit village of of rabbit creatures. Um, but I, I had this idea very early on of of a, a society of kind of dejected, defective robots that have either well have been defective in in more than one way. So that they either quit working or weren't able to perform their job, or they defected from the the main uh, antagonist Kent's army and decided that they didn't want to be a part of it. So they threw themselves down the dump chute and sort of built oh, wow. a society within the trash. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's an interesting lesson of world building too. Like each piece is connected to at least two other pieces, hmm. right? Um, and so you, so you can, especially for platformers. I mean, yeah. you can put all the RPG elements in there you want, but some people will not read your story. Yeah, and so yeah. you kind of yeah. you have to have a little bit. You have to invite people in instead of just deluging them with information. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, that is a good way of describing that. Because yes, I am. I am one of those people <laughs> who will not read your story unless there's something inviting me into it. Um, so that is a good way of describing yeah. it. I like that a lot. Um, I, actually, I'm a little curious about that. How did you develop that? How did you come up with that story, that narrative that you just described? I. Honestly, at this point, I don't know that I could accurately remember, but I feel like uh, the, well, I feel like most elements. Time, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's it, and it's changed over the course of ten years. At, at one point, there was a, a subplot with a, a, a character that was the son of the main antagonist, and that was completely scrapped as as it changed directions. But I, I I'm going to say something that might sound a little. Uh, I don't know. I don't, maybe maybe this is common, but I feel like the majority of the um, I guess. Uh, unique or or most um uh i don't know if provocative is the right word or the the most um endearing or or persistent story points that that i was able to to build i think came from dreams like i i had huh. a, oh. a, an idea that like i woke up and i was like oh that's perfect for this character i gotta i gotta write that down and get this like before i forget <laughs> you know <laughs> so i i feel like i've i've had um a few moments in my life where I've, I've had like, Oh, this dream would be a perfect idea for this mechanic for this game. Like, let's make that mm-hmm. work. That, so that is fascinating. Uh, maybe that's a, uh, I, I, I like, cause I, I think um, that happens to me a lot too. When I, you know, I, I have, I have the issue of over designing things. If I have an idea for something, I will like think of it, think through it for too long and it'll be like three days. And I probably should just be like, this is fine. It's finished now. But like, I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm worried that like it's not good enough. Um, but sometimes I will just like have a spark of inspiration and be like, "Oh, this is brilliant," and then put it down, but then start over designing it. But like the initial, <laughs> <laughs> but the initials, the initial idea was the the 
the stroke of genius. Um, so like, it's really fascinating for me to hear you um, describe you, you know, coming up with these ideas just through three, through dreams or like, you know, waking up and going, Oh, this is a great idea. I should just put this in. Um, that's, yeah, that's really cool. Cause I think, I think, um, you know, art is the way that we develop art is strange. There's so many different processes and ways in which people develop it. And sometimes it does take a long and drawn out process in order to get to that point where you've got something perfect and it works really well. But other times it's just like a thing you did all of a sudden you come up with it and it works. Um, and it's just like, it just comes to you naturally because it's sort of a part of you, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find that really fascinating. So I, I appreciate that. Um, the way you described it there. Yeah, there are like routines mm-hmm. and and skill sets and habits that you can develop. Yes, for for like responsible production. Mm-hmm. But there is no such thing as like responsible creativity. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like wherever it comes from, it's gonna it it for some people it's orderly, and for other people it's chaotic or random. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, and for people who get inspired in dreams, it's up to your waking mind to stitch it all together. Yes. Yeah, but you know, uh, it it can come from all places and in any order, mm-hmm. right? And differently mm-hmm. for different people. Like yeah. it, I could sometimes uh, when I over design a thing, it ends up working out really well. Other times, it's just I need to just stop talking to myself and just put the thing down <laughs> that I came up with in the five minutes. You know, it's wild. Again, games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I go I go back to is uh, there's a series. Uh, I don't remember if it was originally on YouTube or or where it was, but there's uh, this. Um, kind of mini documentary series called Everything is a Remix. Are you mm-hmm. all familiar with Oh, that? yeah. Okay. Title, yep. So just, uh, the, I feel like in, I mean, I can I can point to my my dreams or, or waking up from a dream as as inspiration for parts of the game or the, the narrative, but ultimately it's because of the, the media that I've absorbed yeah. and the things that I've enjoyed throughout my life. So like there's mm-hmm. aspects that you can pick out of Carl's story that are directly analogous to things in Cave Story or in um, Portal or even uh, one of my favorite um, film series growing up was the Spy Kids movies. And there's a, a moment right at the beginning of that like last chapter that is straight out of spy kids that the third movie <laughs> so yeah. like there, there are just little pieces that that i felt like ultimately um built this fun story about this society of defective robots that were planning an uprising against their like uh, comically evil dictator you know? <laughs> so i want to talk about the the end of the process from a technical perspective and specifically, I want to talk about uh, porting, because <laughs> I imagine there was no way this wasn't going to be on a Nintendo, right? Yes. <laughs> well, well, that was my dream. Yeah. You know, like, right. it, it was something that seemed uh, unattainable for the longest time. Like, I mean, when I was a little kid imagining working in games, I at the earliest points that I remember wanting to work in the games industry... It just seemed like magic to me. It was just like I like I couldn't I, I had no concept of what a programming language was or what you know how somebody was actually able to go from an, an idea on paper into an interactive experience that just felt like a uh, you know an interactive Saturday morning cartoon. I was just like how how is that possible? <laughs> um, but uh, as far as um, yeah, as far as like the the porting aspect. Um, it was uh, well. I, it was always my dream to to get it on the Switch. Uh, it, well, I say always it, since the Switch came out, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, originally, it was uh, I had uh, applied for and I, I got um, development rights for the Wii U. It was wow. actually I, I had a version of it that was you know, built for Wii U for a bit, um, and I had it working on uh, one of the launch Xbox One consoles as well. Um, but again, like I said, it, it's gone through many different iterations. So eventually, it became a cross-platform title on current. Uh, gen platforms mm-hmm. um 
And that was a massive undertaking for two people that I, I would not recommend. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it was, uh, I mean, even just outside of the technical aspect, it was a really a challenge to um, navigate just kind of playing email tag and making sure that we were able to get the right resources for each of the different platforms and um, be able to fulfill all the different stipulations and requirements that each of the individual stores required or, you know, different sensibilities that like, you know, we had to deal with a certain, well, there was one, I, I don't think that I, I, I don't think I'm advised to to call them out by name, but there was one uh, platform in particular that was just like, we had the ability to, um, or well, we had a version working of, of Carl, from from years ago, but then just getting access to the development resources after they had shifted um, a couple of different portals like and, and platforms for their resources, mm-hmm. it was uh, a genuine nightmare trying to get them to respond in a timely manner yeah. and like trying to because they they'd outsourced all their support to third party companies, oh. and um, so it was it, that was a, a, a challenge for yeah. for a, a group of two developers that didn't have uh, you know a a particular team for that kind of outreach so well you don't um, have to say who it is but i'm just gonna guess that that was xbox and you could nod if that's true (laughs) and and no one will know (laughs) all right i I have my answer (laughs) (laughs) i think a lot of us go through the same kind of things and especially in these past couple years as the these dev portals have become more open more indie friendly and but still tied to this legacy of like 1990s and 2000s mm-hmm. like publishing workflows yeah and like you know uh, it's amazing how sometimes you would email someone you're like well i'm just an indie nobody they're not going to reply to this and they're like they're super quick yeah and other times you're like oh well this is a small simple uh, question i need an answer to clearly this exists somewhere no one's going to need to research it right. i just need to find the resource that says so and you'll never be able to get anyone to tell you mm-hmm. it's a yeah. it's a weird mix and it, it's getting better i would say yeah i don't know i mean what do you think andrew is it getting better yeah, I, I mean, I think that, I mean, just having ported to the three major consoles and Steam, like it's, well, especially on Steam, I mean, everything's just open at this point where it's yeah. it, I, like, it's never been uh, something that I've, I've recalled uh, whenever I'd, I've done panels on, on game development is that the, the single biggest takeaway I think people should have is that it's never, it's always the best time to make a game. Like, yeah, as we're going yeah. forward, like there's, yeah, yeah. there's never been more resources, more um, more tutorials, more environments, more options for for being able to get that story out. And so I think um, uh, as the the indie space has continued to to make its uh, stand and and kind of um, define a pillar of the games industry in general, I think that those those tools will continue to become more accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that positivity is I think yeah. important. Well, yes. for to, for us as a show to. Let people know, like, it's so hard. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And you're absolutely right. It is the easiest it's ever been to make games, and it will continue to be easier. So as you're developing your game, listener, um, keep in mind that, you know, us complaining about uh, putting it on certain platforms, whichever ones they may be, we will not mention. Uh, <laughs> it will become easier and easier as you get closer and closer to releasing your game. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, and hopefully it will inspire you to, yeah. to finish to get to the end. So yeah. pivoting from that great coda, we do need to talk about the other part of a postmortem, which is what went wrong. Yes. And what would you do differently? <laughs> I think it's important for people to understand that like even successful projects, you know, have things you immediately recognize as mistakes. Right. I'm not assuming, but let's hear it. Uh, what, what didn't work? What, uh, what would you do differently um, if you could go back years? Cause it would take that to make the changes that, that you'd be talking about. 
Well, I think one of the biggest uh, early mistakes that I had made is that I, my, my earliest prototypes were, like I mentioned, they were built in Game Maker. And my first inspiration was that I really liked the, the physics and the movement of quote in Cave Story. So that was kind of the basis for like, I wanted to make a similar sort of um, movement style and, and friction and these things. So I was playing around with, um, well, in, in Game Maker, it was, it was all custom. And then as I brought it into Unity, eventually, I relied on a lot of the, the built-in Unity 2D physics. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as things became more complex and we started having more complex enemies and bosses and things like that, relying on the built-in physics engine was definitely one of those biggest mistakes yeah. because um, especially having Matt had come from a robot named Fight where everything was custom and, and was, uh, I would say, a lot more stable. Mm. Um, I mean, we still have, in, I, I, I've got it on, on my, my list to, to push out an update for, but we, we, there's a certain area in the very first level where if you, uh, we found a, re, a, a reliably, uh, a reliable method to reproduce this bug, but there's a way to get out of bounds in the first oh. level, <laughs> which is obnoxious. Speedrunners take note. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. I don't know, speed so, dyers, I guess. Sometimes that's what that means. <laughs> yeah. So if you're making a 2D platformer, I mean, Unity, bless them, but probably don't use their physics. <laughs> it's, it's, it's rough. That's, I like that is the flip side to the democratization of these tools. Yeah. Is yeah. It, it's, it's never been easier to to build something in a way that you'd never be able to do on your own. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you have to know when is it time to move past those defaults. Mm-hmm. When do you, when can you feel confident? And when can you be like, well, the default is is kind of bad. It's not everything I wanted, but I don't want to spend the time, or I don't have the you know uh, uh, ability right now to yeah. to learn to redo it. So I'm going to conform to these you know, uh, um, compromises. Yeah. It's such a hard thing to decide. Every unity game is filled with some unity things Mm -hmm. and lots of Mm -hmm. custom things Mm -hmm. in a weird, in a total bizarre proportion that the developers cannot explain to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, unity physics. (laughs) (laughs) So is that, is that the, the main thing that you would say went wrong is like, there's, (laughs) <laughs> I think so. I think, I think, so. I think relying on Unity physics um, sure. has made it a challenge to be able to expand it in the ways that we would like to. I, I think, I mean, and, and as we were reevaluating that, like it was at the point where like all the levels were laid out. And so it's like, well, oh, okay, yeah. at this point, we can't really mess with this and, and expect to have uh, stability. So yeah, um, is it is a weird kind of cobbled together mesh of, of custom yeah. physics and Unity physics that uh, I, I certainly hope that I don't. Uh, have some sudden accident and have to bequeath the project to somebody else because I don't know who would be able to, to mess with that. <laughs> you had described um, that you made a bunch of uh, semi or sort of last minute changes to the levels in order to uh, guide players better, especially in those earlier levels where they felt like they were getting lost. You felt like they yeah. were getting lost a lot. It, um, how 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 did you decide on how did you decide on that process exactly? Like yeah, uh, well, so it, uh, that was mostly from uh, a result of player feedback from conventions. Right. So what we would do is we we had a, a demo um, build of, of the game that we would basically have people set on it. I think I'd set it for some sort of like hybrid timer system where if you were within a level and you reached a certain point, like 15 minutes or so, that uh-huh. the next time you finished a level, it would kick you out to back to the menu, main menu. But then oh. uh, there was like a, a, a max limit of something like 25 minutes for so that we could get oh. people cycling. Oh, sure. But, um, yeah, we we basically started making new iterations for each convention, so we would be able to go out and see like in in 
close to real time what, how those those little changes would would help things. And I think that um, the best thing that you can do with a, a challenge like that is to turn it into something positive. So, like a, another aspect of the game is that we introduced as a result of players. Um, uh, indicating that they were getting lost or, or, or us, you know, over their shoulder, seeing that they were looping around the same area multiple times. Um, we introduced a, a chip locator upgrade where you could, um, you know, if you were struggling, you could find something that would allow you to sort of ping all the, the collectibles that you needed to get to exit the level. Um, and so that ultimately led to something that wasn't in the game before, but I think uh, like helped the, the experience. So that's interesting. You made like specific, uh, uh, specific builds that were meant for, demoing the game in that way like you had mm-hmm. you had timers and things like that i um i guess i've done that a few times in the past but i've done that for a specific game or play test ex- uh, play test events i haven't mm-hmm. when i go to a conference i mean i'm technically s- secretly you know looking for feedback and things but i'm trying to show the game off uh, is the is my main goal i guess quote unquote um mm-hmm. i say quote unquote because i don't know how accurate that is <laughs> but uh <laughs> but um that's interesting that like you you know you developed it for that purpose and i suppose like um, it, it worked twofold in that, like it, you know, it funneled people or it got people through the game more quickly, but it also allowed you to see um, that first um, uh, first time player experience um, very frequently um, in a way that it sounds like it was very valuable for you. Um, yeah, you know, and it definitely got- helped us to sort of polish those first moments of the game, the first kind of twenty minute section yeah. where we were able to to sort of build from that that foundation of the first chapter of the game. Where if you you know we had players that were that would come back around multiple times, get in line and, and play it again, and, and we had players that we had a, a one convention. Uh, I ran a, a challenge where I wanted to see if somebody could get to the first boss in the first chapter and beat the first boss before the the demo would end. Ah. And so that was a, a fun kind of. Uh, a, a way to to really solidify that first chunk of the game and then build the the rest of it off of that that feed that initial feedback cool, cool. yeah uh how how frequently um would you say that com- co- the conferences you went to the conventions you went to uh happened like how frequently were you able to iterate off of this? There, there's a yeah there there's a collection of of shows that i, I try to hit every year so i, I mean it, it tends to play out to maybe once every couple months or so okay. uh, this this year it's a little bit more hectic for my schedule but um, <laughs> i'm trying to balance that along with putting out a content update so mm-hmm. wish me luck <laughs> uh before we let you go i think we should talk a little bit about like i mean you got this content update coming up and i think yeah. there's something about being done with a game that you don't feel done with it yet that's yeah. that's yeah. pretty common um and it's probably not that new but it does feel of this modern era mm. Um, but, um, do you, I mean, how soon do you think it'll be before you're head first into the next one? Well, I honestly have no clue. (laughs) I'm, I'm kind of playing it by ear and seeing how it goes. I, I, I don't expect that I will, I'll probably make myself be done with Carl by the end of 2023. (laughs) Um, (laughs) one way or another, but yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I, I honestly don't know what, uh, what the future will hold as far as, a. uh, my my split between content creation and and game development um but i'd like to to continue both um i've i've had uh, i mean I, i've i've had unique experiences and and um lessons learned from both that i've been able to sort of bring to to uh, both media and so i uh, i hope to be able to to work on both going forward and bring new experiences to people that are as passionate as i am about the games that we grew up with that's great. That's a great note to end on, I think. It is. Well, actually. Oh, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually. 
So if uh, if people want to see your story, um, where can they find you on the internet so that they can do that? Yeah, so uh, if you want to check out the game, it's carlgame.com. Uh, you can follow us over on Twitter as well, at carlthegame. Uh, and if you want to see some more kind of behind-the-scenes developer stuff, we've got a couple of... Uh, we've got a dev Q&A and uh, the launch trailer over on my YouTube channel. It's just youtube.com slash nintendrew. Uh, and hope to see you over there. Yeah, we will link to all those things in the show notes. And I definitely, you know you got to at least see the really cool room that Drew's got going. So <laughs> if you haven't been to his channel yet, like yeah. definitely go visit just for that. And I will say for fans of Nice Games Club and the attitude that we try to present, uh, I think uh, Nintendo is a very positive uh, viewing experience. Yeah. I, think, I think folks who like Thank our you. show um, would feel at home uh, with your, your, your brand of retro enthusiasm. <laughs> Go for the cur- the Kirby stuffies and stay yes. for the feels. Yep. Yes. <laughs> That's why people listen to us. Perfect. Is that why people listen to us? I want to know that. NiceGames.club slash feedback. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. For show notes and links from today's conversation, go to our website, NiceGames.club. Visit us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and planning your GDC schedule. I think we're on Mastodon, too, so you can toot as well. We like hearing from you, so whatever platform you're on, get in touch. You can also email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon, too. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be dropping our 300th episode. Oh my gosh. It'll be a little bit early, though. Um, because we want to discuss what happened at this year's Game Developers Conference, which hasn't happened yet as of recording now, but will happen. It's happening now as far as listeners are concerned. Right. Yes. Yes. And we'll be recording um, an episode about it right afterwards mm-hmm. and then trying to get that out right away. And that just also happens to be our 300th episode. Yeah. So Mark's got all the calendar math straight in his head, so I don't have to think about it. So if it's, if it, But if it's wrong, I want Ellen at least to take some of the blame. Yep. Sure, happy to. Fair enough. As long as I'm not getting blamed. Great. <laughs> he didn't call you out. I think you're safe. Yes. Okay. Well, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.